And today the doctrine that we're going to be focused on is the church. So um, you all have some experience with the church by virtue of at least being here today. So thank you for coming. But I know that the reality is, is the church doesn't always have a good reputation, even amongst those of us who attend. Some of us have felt and experienced uh, some of our most deepest hurts and wounds from people within the church. That would be true of me as well in my own life, that some of my greatest hurts and harms and most difficult relationships have happened in and because of the church. Now, some of that is by virtue of me being a pastor, and sometimes I'm a lightning rod for all kinds of things. Often I receive people's anger towards God, so it's not really about me, but it's still there. Some of you know what it's like to be hurt by people in the church. Some of you have friends, relatives, people that you know who don't come to church because they've been hurt by it. And there's lots of stories about how the church has gotten it wrong. And there's lots of ways that getting it wrong has caused all kinds of trouble and pain and difficulty in our world today. When the church is designed and intended for hope and for life. And so today the reason that we're focusing on this is because it really matters It matters not just to those of you who are here, but to those who aren't here. It matters to the world, because God has intended his church to be a sign of life and hope within his creation, within his world. And so we want to get it right. There was a time uh, in my life at a previous church when I was a pastor where uh, the major part of my role was uh, worship leading. And... You know, I was always looking for musicians to be part of the group, and there was one particular lady that I remember when she came, uh, she had uh, kind of a, a complicated story. And she was recently divorced, had two young boys, um, had a, a long history and story of abuse in that relationship that has just ended. And she was pretty broken. But uh, I said, come on, you, you love Jesus and he loves you. And, and she would be part uh, of the worship team week to week. I'm already starting to feel it. It's because I'm tired from moving rocks in my front step. <laughs> and, and I remember just week after week, she would be part of the laughter, part of the fun in the worship team and all of that. And we would get to know each other a little bit and all of that. And it was probably a good year or two years into that that she wrote just this beautiful letter to us. Ugh. Just talking about how she was about to end her life when she came to church, but didn't because of the love and community that she found there. Oh, this is just the start of the sermon. This is not good. <laughs> It made a difference in her life because she was loved by the church. And we didn't have to do a lot of fancy things. We just welcomed her. And she didn't have to be someone she wasn't. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. You've come looking for love and just acceptance, and you've been pushed aside. There's lots of people like that in our world. That's a painful thing because this should be a place that shows 
the unconditional love of God. But when the church is working well, when the church is living out its purpose and its calling, when it's doing what God has designed us to be and who we are meant to be, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so that's what we want to focus on today, is how the church's life and hope and what it's, it's intended to be. And I'm going to talk about it in its most essential form today. We're going to talk about you know, the structure and the organization so much because, you know what, Jesus didn't talk about that stuff a lot. It was more about the heart and who we are in our calling that Jesus focused on. And so that's what we're going to mostly spend our time in today. And we're going to dream about what it would be like if we as a church lived out that picture, that hope that Jesus has for the world here with amongst us. What's the church? Here's just a simple sort of explanation. The church is the community of God's people called by Jesus to his way, gathered in love, filled by the Spirit for new life, sent to the world as witnesses of the good news. Now, there's a lot being said in there. There's a lot lot that we'll get to. So, so let's dive right into it. Let's go to the next slide. The word uh, in, in sort of the, the Greek language, which the New Testament is written in, is ecclesia, which is an interesting word. And I thought I'd just take us there. I don't usually go back to explaining the Greek words behind words. But um, I think it's interesting and helpful for us today. The word ecclesia has this idea of gathering or assembly, often for kind of a political or military purpose originally. So we don't think of the the word church being in that sense, but that was originally what the word was being used for, and Christians kind of co-opted it. But it, it had this literal sense of the called out ones. The ones who were called out for a purpose. And... We, as a church, are people who are called out for a purpose. And it began, really, when Jesus comes, and it's in continuity with the community of God's people and Israel and all of that, but it begins as Jesus comes and starts calling people out to something else, calling them out to a purpose. Let's look at some verses here, really just as the first disciples are being gathered around Jesus. Called by Jesus to his way. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus calls out uh, to some of the first disciples, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. You know, these are fishermen. And he's saying, I've got a greater purpose for you. I'm calling you out to a greater purpose. Matthew 9.9, he's calling another one, Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Following Jesus' way, not his own. Now, here in this case, Matthew is leaving behind a lucrative career in order to pursue the way of Jesus instead. And then we see Jesus really calling out to all of us in Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way Take up your cross and follow me. And so what Jesus is showing us here is that his way is the better way and yet will require us to die to ourselves as well. Disciple, you know, that's not a word that we use, you know, nine to five in our workplaces and our schools today. 
But a disciple is a student. It's a follower. It's an apprentice. Someone who is trying to learn the way of the discipler. In this case, Jesus. And so Jesus begins his church by calling out for a purpose some different people. Originally, 12 disciples, 12 men, but he invites all of us to become his disciples, men, women, young and old, to be called out for a purpose. Now let's look uh, at this next verse, which is an indication of our purpose or, or what we're gathered around. We are gathered in love. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Well, as we've talked about before, If the character of God is love, which the Bible says clearly, God is love, then the character of those who are his disciples should be that as well. Love. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus is anticipating his own cross. He's anticipating laying down his life, which was the purpose for which he came. And he says these words to his disciples, as he has just washed their feet, even the feet of Judas, knowing that Judas would betray him. And he says these words to his disciples, love each other, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. He's talking to someone he knows will betray him. He's talking to people who he knows will walk away from him who will hurt him. And he says, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so we are meant to have a character like his own character, an action and an activity that is based on his own action and activity. That is our purpose. He has called us out for the purpose of love. We're gathered together in community as people who are His disciples who are gathered around him, around love. Let's go to the next. Well, he is, of course, killed and crucified. He fulfills the purpose for which he came and is raised to life. And as he walks along and he instructs his disciples and he explains to them what is going on, he is referring back to all the scriptures and the teaching, and Jesus says, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Now, when you're a witness, you see these things happen. With your own eyes. You hear it with your own ears. And then you bear witness. You share that story. You tell what you saw. You tell what you heard. And so Jesus is saying to them, you have seen this all. You've experienced it all for yourselves. Now you have to tell the story. And so we are a community of witnesses together. For those of us who have seen and experienced Jesus in our own lives, who have become his disciples, who have taken up our own cross, laying down our own life, following his way, we're doing that because we've seen and sensed him in some way. We are witnesses. 
So we have a purpose to follow his way, to live out his love, and to tell the story of Jesus. What's happened, who he is, what it means for us, why we are alive and living in a new way. So we're a community of witnesses. Let's keep going here. And on this next one, we see that as Jesus not only instructs his disciples uh, about this to, to be and to bear witness, he now sends them. This is the last thing he does um, before, he, um, before he is ascended into heaven. In John 20, 21, there's this beautiful image, actually, where Jesus does something that you might recall from some of our conversations about Scripture and about creation. Jesus breathes on them. And when you think about that image of breath, we think back to the very first story of the Bible as God is making human beings, and he breathes life into them. Jesus here is creating us as a new kind of humanity. It's a new way to live. It's a new way to be human. And Jesus breathes on his disciples and says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You think how strange that moment would be for Jesus to stand there and breathe on you. Especially in our COVID world, that would seem strange, wouldn't it? But there's something incredibly beautiful here. He is breathing. He is showing that he is giving his spirit to his disciples. And that's what makes the difference. Because there's all kinds of organizations around the world that have a purpose, that have a community, that have seen and heard and experienced something, that are gathered around a certain way of life. But up to that point, it's just human beings. Here's where the difference is made, where the difference turns. And it's that there is a, is a presence, a power that is different and unique, that allows us to be new. And then Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, these, this is how the, the entire gospel of Matthew ends, is on this I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we see that as Jesus is sending us, just as the Father sent him, he's sending us in the world to do what he has done, which is to make disciples, to call people out for a purpose. To call people into a community that's gathered in love. To call people out to salvation, to life that's found in a new way. And the church is those who have been saved, as we talked about last week who have laid down their life, taken up their cross, and found the way of Jesus with his spirit within them to be life. So we are sent to the world. But let's look now at what happens next. And we've taken it a little bit of a sequence from the definition that I first started with because the spirit comes now. Jesus has been anticipating it. He's been pointing towards it. And now it happens. In fact, in the story, uh, it, this is the moment of Pentecost. We can go to the next slide here. Where they are filled by the Spirit. This is Acts chapter 2 now. Now, 
Shortly after the experience of Passover, which is when we have the story of Easter, is another celebration called Pentecost, which is coming up actually next Sunday, is Pentecost Sunday after Easter. So it's good to talk about it today. And Jesus tells his disciples after he ascends that they're to stay and wait And they're waiting and they're praying and then this strange thing happens in the midst of this festival. The Spirit is sent. The breath that Jesus breathed onto his disciples becomes in full force the wind of the Spirit. And the wind of the Spirit fills them and empowers them so fully and completely. It takes over and strengthens them and makes them capable of doing things they never could possibly do before. So much so that the people watching observe all that's happening and think, these people must be drunk. Peter gets up and says, it's only nine in the morning. It begins to look so strange to the world around them as they're telling the story, bearing witness to the life of Jesus. It looks so strange to the world that the world wants to see and understand what's going on. And the Spirit empowers them to tell that story of Jesus in such a compelling way that thousands of people listen and then respond. This is what what Peter says about Jesus in those moments. He gets up and, and does a sermon. God raised Jesus from the dead. We are all witnesses of this. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a requirement, a necessity for living to have the Spirit within us. And when we have turned away from our own things and we've asked the Lord for his forgiveness for our sin, when that has been dealt with, as we talked about last week, he provides for us his own powerful presence in the Holy Spirit. And that's a requirement for living. That's how we are the church is that we're gathered together by him, following him, and he powers us up to do things we couldn't do before. And we're going to look strange. Some people are going to think we're drunk. Some of you are already strange. Enough. But Jesus makes us look different by his spirit. He, He starts to make us look and act in a different way. And rather than embarrassing us or making us look foolish, although it might seem that way to the world, it leads us to life and health and to a place of just flourishing in all ways and respects. And what starts to happen when we become empowered by the Spirit is that we start gathering together in such a way that we're looking out for the needs of those around us. We're caring for each other and everybody starts to thrive in that community. In fact, in the next verses that follow, when all of this uh, shakes down, 
we see this beautiful picture of what the church can be and should be. Let's look at those verses now. This is long, I know, but it's beautiful. Acts 2, 41-47. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. I know I'm a pastor, and maybe you don't feel quite the same way, but I would love to try to do 3,000 baptisms in one day. I would love to see... I, I, in fact, I had a mentor when I was going through school, and he talked about uh, a couple of other... And they, they were in China doing some work there, and there was an event, and they, he said they baptized for eight hours straight that day. What a... You know... Baptism is a picture of dying and being raised, the very thing that Jesus was talking about there. It's, a, it's an entry into a new life. And I just wonder, some of you, if you've been baptized, if you know what that's like, uh, to have experienced that commitment to Jesus and his blessing upon your life. So that said, there was a big response that day because people could see that this was real. And then it says all those believers, those 3,000 and more, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. So they just started eating together. They started spending time together. They started hanging out. They started praying together. They started celebrating the Lord, listening to teaching and all those sorts of things. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. You see, there's this incredible generosity and community that's being formed around love. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Isn't that the kind of church you'd like to be part of? I would. That's the kind of church that is life-giving and is full of life. Because the Spirit is life. And when we likewise focus on the, the work of the Spirit within us, things start to bubble up and happen and and people start to be blessed and cared for and needs are being met and we notice things about each other. We know each other's needs, each other's stories. We get involved, we help one another. And it's beautiful. I'd love to see that here for us. I'd love for us to know that kind of joy, that kind of generosity. I think it would be so beautiful. And what happened naturally as a result of that was that the community just kept growing and growing and growing. Some churches are just so concerned about growing, growing, growing that they do things with that goal in mind. Well, I want us to be a church that just focuses on being filled with the Spirit and following the way of Jesus so much that that just happens because we are full of life. Not because we're trying to make it happen. 
Not because we're trying to make it look like we are growing. Because you know what else grows but isn't healthy? Cancer. Growth itself isn't always a sign of health. But growth that comes from a life-giving force is beautiful. So let's lean into the work of the Spirit. Let's go to the, the next here. There's just a couple more pictures that I want to show you. And as, the, as those uh, disciples continued to learn, to continue to grow, continued to focus on the way of Jesus and the Spirit within them, they conceived of how the church was. Some, two different images. There are several, but these are two of the most dominant ones. The first thing was that they recognized that they were the body of Christ. That in a sense, what had happened, because the Spirit is what had filled Jesus and given him his power, is that now as a collective, they together were like Jesus' body here on earth still. That they were the hands and feet of Jesus, doing the things that Jesus had done, continuing to do the work of the kingdom, the purposes for which Jesus came. And so they said, collectively, we are the body of Jesus here on earth now. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13 says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. And what's happening here is something absolutely radical. Jews, Gentiles, different ethnicities are gathering together as one in harmony, in unity. Slaves, free, different economic standings are gathering together as one in unity, working in community and love. They aren't separated and distinct by the amount of money in their bank account. They are invited to the level ground at the foot of the cross and are filled by the same spirit so they all have the same life. And the rich aren't saying, well, this is my money and I've worked hard to deserve it. They're saying, what can I do with it to bless those who are in need? What can I sell that I have so I can care for someone else? This is a picture of a church that I want to be part of, where there are people of different backgrounds, ethnicities, young, old, rich, poor, men, women, who, who look around them and love others and aren't separated by what is different about us, but find that diversity actually gives us strength and greater life. We are the body of Jesus, and there are a lot of different parts and places and people that all fit together. But as we come together with our own unique backgrounds and stories, and as we welcome others who are very different from ourselves, that's a sign that Jesus is alive amongst us. Another image is the house of God in Hebrews 3, 4-6. Every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we're God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. 
Here it's given Moses as an example of a person who served faithfully in God's house and that his work was an illustration or revealed what God was doing and would do later. When you serve in the house of God and when we serve together, it shows other people and us together, it shows others that God's truth is real. When the world sees us from our different backgrounds, economic standings, whatever, diversity of all kinds, when it sees us working together and loving each other, it lets them see that this is real and this is true. It helps them to be aware of God's reality. What are you doing to serve in the house of God to illustrate or to show the reality of God's truth? There are so many different ways that we can each contribute. But we need each other. We need to work together as one. And we need to be bound together by that supernatural love of God. The divine love that we see in Jesus. That's what the church is all about. So let's take just a moment now to bring it down here to ground level here in Stratford. Let's go to the last slide. How do we live as the church? We care for each other. We care for quote-unquote outsiders. As it said in Acts 2, with great joy and generosity. I'm taking a moment just to sketch down a few things here on the bottom of the slide, but there's a lot more we could say. Serving. Find a place to serve here. Penny's always looking for people to help in the Cornerstone Kids program. Let me say this. We have an incredible opportunity to raise up young people in the ways of Jesus, to allow them to see and to illustrate his truth. The past couple of weeks... You know, last week we had, I think, 20 kids between the downstairs and upstairs, which was over a quarter of the people in the building. Today, it's a similar number. Some churches consider themselves healthy if they have 10% of their population as kids. Folks, we have an, an opportunity, a privilege, and a responsibility to ensure that those kids see the reality of Jesus amongst us, to train them up in his life and way. Is that something you can help do? Can you serve in that way? Even if it's just once a month, can you help be one of those people that illustrates the truths of God? It could be maintenance. Maybe there's something you can do next Saturday, helping around the facility, cleaning something up. might not seem overly spiritual to you, but maybe that's just about where you're at. What can you do? How can you help? Community. How can you be involved in just promoting and encouraging the community that's here? Well, just gathering is one thing. Learning together. Gathering into small groups or studies whenever there's an opportunity. Encouraging each other, sending that card, giving a call on the phone to somebody who can't make it here. And there are lots of people right now that can't come. 
I hate having a waiting list too. There's some that can't get in on a Sunday and there's some that, that won't come or aren't able to come right now. Do you notice those people? Do you think about those people? Give them a call. And maybe it's that awkward thing of, well, I'm sorry I haven't called in a year or whatever it's been, but get over that. They're just going to be happy to hear from you probably. Hospitality. How can you invite somebody? How can you greet them? Maybe We are looking for greeters all the time. I know Daniel has been working hard week after week trying to put together the seating arrangements and greet people at the door. I know we're looking for a few more people and it's just you know a little bit of time on a Sunday morning. Maybe you can help arrange those details. Feeding people. You know, when somebody's sick, it's just not waiting for me to send out an email or to make a phone call. It's showing up at their house with food, caring for them in some way when they're grieving a loss of somebody. Hosting people in your home. I know that culture has changed a little bit and we don't necessarily invite people to in our homes in the way that used to happen in generations gone past. But man, it's It's awesome. And there's no better way to get to know people. I'm trying to have people into my home whenever I can, and I hate having to try to clean up. And sometimes it looks like I did, and sometimes it looks like I didn't. (laughs) But I think most of the time, you probably don't notice if my floor was swept today or not. You just assume that it was your kids that dropped the food on the floor that you're stepping on, right? And I just try to let people into my home, into my life. That's what they did in the early church, and that's what I want to see, so I do it. What about you? There's a few of you in the room that this applies to. I've had you into my home for a meal, and I find out later that's the first time you've been invited to somebody's home since you moved to PEI. And I, I understand that. We're in a pandemic, too. That's weird and stuff. But that shouldn't be the way it is around the church. Man, the, the, my, my family, when we moved uh, from B.C. to Nova Scotia, the very first Sunday we showed up at a church, someone invited us to their home. They didn't know us. They didn't have something prepared. They didn't know we were coming that day. And I don't even think the meal was that great. But you know what? We stayed at the church for the next 10 years. And that's the church where I was baptized. That's the church where I had a call from the Lord. All those things. Okay, it's, I'm still tired and sore, Okay. <laughs> feeling a little bit emotional. My hormones are all over the place. All right. But how can you just demonstrate hospitality? Some of you are amazing at cooking and hosting people. Some of you are amazing at that. And that's a spiritual gift. Giving. Listen, I hate talking about money, but it's a reality. And we actually have costs to run this place. And, you know, in, in a pandemic, we were very fortunate last year to come out well as a church. But I know this year the numbers are dipping, and that's the reality of a lot of us. Some of us aren't able to work in the same way. So I just want to encourage you, just keep giving or, or start giving if you haven't given. And if you've been giving all along and you've been faithful, and even when it's a sacrifice, thank you. But if you haven't started, there is real need, you know. And it, it, it affects how we serve other people. So, you know... Some of you have a gift for generosity and for giving, so so do that. But giving also comes in the form of meals, as I've mentioned. It comes in the form of kits of kindness, which is an incredible witness to our community. And we're coming to the end of the school year, so let's push through. You know, some of you have got a real heart for that. I know Colleen is gathering stuff in and packing stuff up once a month. You know, let's, let's finish the school year out strong by giving to that, supporting that. 
Bearing witness just means living it out too. Actually doing this stuff. Actually living out the teachings of Jesus. Like if you live that way, you're going to look different in your workplace, in your neighborhood, whatever it might be. And we've had that phrase that we've been using with mission just to say love your neighbor, which are the words of Jesus. When you love your neighbor and you care for them, you start to make that picture of Acts 2 come alive. How can you love your neighbor? How can you live out the way of Jesus more than you are today? How can we do that together? There are just so many pictures, and I was thinking this week of some of those things, that, the stories that I've heard, not just from here, but around the world. I think about uh, a friend of mine. She, she grew up in that same church where we stayed for 10 years in Nova Scotia. And she was a couple years older than me. She became a pastor, just a fantastic pastor, great for pastoral care, an expert at it, really. And one of the things that she used to do was she would take new mothers with young babies and she would go to the palliative ward at the hospital. And she would bring those two people together to care for each other. It was a beautiful picture of God's people being God's people. Where else does something like that happen but the church? Where boundaries that are normally boundaries are crossed and people are brought together across all kinds of lines. And then I think about... Um, In Guatemala, there was a a lady during the pandemic, an older lady, she wasn't able to go out to the store to get groceries, had no food. The only food she had was an avocado tree growing in her yard. And when the church in her neighborhood heard about that, they started bringing her food. That's a picture of the church. And I think about in Lebanon, where I visited our partners, Eli and Marie Haddad at ABTS, and I think about how when they went through crisis after crisis in this past year and there was the Beirut explosion and there were families without homes, what did the, what did the seminary there do? Well, the students had just left and cleared out of the dorms and the next day they turned it around and welcomed those families in for a place to stay. That's the church. And I think about times where I've seen people who have gone through uh, grieving the loss of a loved one and they've, they've gotten food, and they don't even know who dropped it off on their doorstep. I think about the stories that I've heard of people with, with children not knowing how they're going to get through the day, and the mother who's feeling overwhelmed, and someone just stops for coffee. I'm so tired and sore today. <laughs> oh, I feel like a wuss. But it's still so beautiful. Ah, this is the stuff that melts my heart anyway. And I think about how, you know, the kid that didn't have a lunch, that didn't, doesn't know what they're going to eat on the weekend, and they get the kid of kindness in their backpack. And I think about the witness that that is, even to the teachers that are there, or to the guidance counselors, and I know what that's meant to the school here. I think about the person who comes in and sees the beautiful gardens that are here in the front, and knows that somebody cares about them and this place, and has given their time for that. I think about the person who gets a call, who gets an invitation, who is welcomed in. I think about ah, how we all together can be the church. That we can be the body, the physical representation of Jesus here in the world. That we can, by the Spirit's power, do things that are beautiful and life-giving for so many people. That's what I think of when I think of the church There's lots of reasons for me to be cynical about the church, maybe for you and for the people in this world. But if we could live that out, there'd be a few less reasons for that.
and there'd be a few more people who gathered in the love of Jesus. Let's do that. Let's be that. Let's be that church that God has called us to be. He's called us out for a purpose, to show his life, to show his love as his disciples, bearing witness to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to this world to show us your way and your love. We thank you that you call us to die, to take up our cross, die to our own selfishness, our own greed, but to live for your purposes, which are great and life-giving. We thank you that you didn't leave us here to do it on our own, just to try a little harder, but instead you gave us your spirit, your life, that you shape our character after yours, which is love, that you produce in us fruit by your spirit, that you give us power and gifts and abilities to do things, to bless, to build up your church, to care for one another and to care for those who are not yet amongst us. May we see all that we've seen here in the pages of Scripture come alive here in our day, here in this place, even now. May we know your goodness and may many more be added to our number because of our love for you and what you do with us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.